Chapter 30 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. We must now come to consider the next petition in our good Master's Prayer, in which he begins to entreat his Holy Father on our behalf, and see what it is that he entreats, as it is well that we should know this. What person, however careless, who had to address someone of importance, would not spend time in thinking how to approach him so as to please him and not to be considered tedious? He would also think what he was going to ask for, and what use he would make of it, especially if his petition were of some particular thing, as our good Jesus tells us our petitions must be. This point seems to me very important. Couldst thou not, my Lord, have ended this prayer in a single sentence by saying, Give us, Father, whatever is good for us. For in addressing one who knows everything, there would seem to be no need to say any more. This would have sufficed, O eternal wisdom, as between thee and thy father. It was thus that thou didst address him in the garden, telling him of thy will and thy fear, but leaving thyself in his hands. But thou knowest us, my Lord, and thou knowest that we are not as resigned as wert thou to the will of the Father. Therefore, to be taught to ask for particular things so that we should stop for a moment to think of what we ask of thee is good for us. And if it is not, should not ask for it. For being what we are and having our free will, if we do not receive what we ask for, we shall not accept what the Lord gives us. The gift might be the best one possible, but we never think we are rich unless we actually see the money in our hands. Oh, God help me. What is it that sends our faith to sleep so that we cannot realize how certain we are? On the one hand, to be punished, and on the other hand, to be rewarded. It is for this reason, daughters, that it is good for you to know what you are asking for in the Paternoster, so that if the Eternal Father gives it to you, you shall not cast it back in his face. You must think carefully of what you are about to ask for will be good for you. If it will not, do not ask for it, but ask His Majesty to give you light. For we are blind, and often we have such loathing for life-giving food that we cannot eat it, but prefer what will cause us death. And what a death, so terrible and eternal. Now, the good Jesus bids us to say these words, in which we pray that his kingdom may come in us. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come in us. Consider now, daughters, how great is our master's wisdom. I am thinking here of what we are asking in praying for this kingdom. And it is well that we should realize this. His Majesty, knowing how little we are capable, saw that unless he provided us by giving us his kingdom here on earth, we could neither hallow, nor praise, nor magnify, nor glorify, nor exalt his holy name of the Eternal Father in any way befitting it. The good Jesus, therefore, places these two petitions next to each other. 
Let us understand this thing that we are asking for our daughters and how important it is that we should pray for it without ceasing and do all we can to please him who will give it to us. It is for that reason that I want to tell you what I know about the matter now. If you do not like the subject, think out some other meditations for yourselves, for our Master will allow us to do this, provided we submit in all things to the teachings of the Holy Roman Church, as I do here. In any case, I shall not give you this book to read until persons who understand these matters have seen it. So if there is anything wrong with it, the reason will be not wickedness, but my imperfect knowledge. To me, then, it seems that of the many joys to be found in the kingdom of heaven, the chief is that we shall have no more to do with the things of earth. For in heaven we shall have an intrinsic tranquility and glory, a joy in the rejoicings of all, a perpetual peace, and a great interior satisfaction, which will come to us when we see that all are hallowing and praising the Lord, and are blessing his name, and that none is offending him. For all love him there, and the soul's one concern is loving him. Nor can it cease from loving him, because it knows him. And this is how we should love him on earth. Though we cannot do so with the same perfection, nor yet all the time. Still, if we knew him, we should love him very differently from the way we do now. It looks as though I were going to say that we must be angels to make this petition, and to say our vocal prayers well. This would indeed be our Divine Master's wish, since he bids us make so sublime a petition. You may be quite sure that he never tells us to ask for impossibilities. So it must be possible, with God's help, for a soul living in that state of exile to reach such a point, though not as perfectly as those who have been freed from this prison, for we are making a sea voyage and are still on the journey. But there are times when we are wearied with traveling and the Lord grants our faculties tranquility and our soul quiet. And while they are in that state, he gives us a clear understanding of the nature of the gifts he bestows upon those whom he brings to his kingdom. He grants what we are asking him for received pledges, which will give them a great hope of eventually attaining to a perpetual enjoyment of what on earth he only allows them to taste. If it were not that you would tell me I am treating of contemplation, it would be appropriate, in writing of this petition, to say a little about the beginning of pure contemplation, which those who experience call it the prayer of quiet. But, as I have said, I am discussing vocal prayer here, and anyone ignorant of the subject might think that the two had nothing to do with one another, though I know this is certainly not true. Forgive my wanting to speak of it, for I know that there are many people who practice vocal prayer in the manner already described and are raised by God to the higher kind of contemplation without having had any hand in this themselves or even knowing how it has happened. For this reason, daughters, I attach great importance to your saying your vocal prayers well. I know a nun who could never practice anything but vocal prayer, but who kept to this and found she had everything else. Yet if she omitted saying her prayers, her mind wandered so much that she could not endure it. May we all practice such mental prayer as that. She would say a number of paternosters corresponding to the number of times our Lord shed his blood and on nothing more than these, and a few other prayers she would spend two or three hours. 
She came to me once in great distress, saying that she did not know how to practice mental prayer and that she could not contemplate but could only say vocal prayers. She was quite an old woman and had lived an extremely good and religious life. I asked her what prayers she said, and from her reply, I saw that, though keeping to the Paternoster, she was experiencing pure contemplation, and the Lord was raising her to be with him in union. She spent her whole life so well to that her actions made it clear she was receiving great favors. So I praised the Lord and I invade her her vocal prayer. If this story is true, and it is, none of you who have had a bad opinion of contemplatives can suppose that you will be free from the risk of becoming like them if you say your vocal prayers as though they should be said and keep a pure conscience. I shall have to say more about this. Anyone not wishing to hear it may pass it over. <laughs>